Hey guys, welcome to our program, Small Town Worlds, where we talk about world issues from a small town perspective through a biblical lens. Our aim is to spotlight Jesus Christ and spread the gospel while discussing relevant topics we all face day to day. Welcome back, everybody. We are here today, and today we're going to discuss mega church. I wrote mega church. What did you write? Are mega churches problematic? Are mega churches problematic? Question mark. Because <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That's what we said. We're we're going to discuss it, but we're not necessarily saying that it's a bad thing. Yeah, I think the <clears throat> motivation for discussing it at all is because there is such negative press about them, and mm-hmm. um, when you really, really dig in, it's it's a, such a bigger issue than just a. Um, I don't know. We're so quick sometimes. I am. I'm so quick sometimes to hear something negative, jump on board with it, mm-hmm. assume that that person or that article is right um, without really investigating it. Uh, and honestly, I mean, just listening to the rise and fall, fall of Mars Hill just had me thinking about so many things. Yeah. Um, and because that was such a mega church, it wasn't even the largest mega church, but right. it was it was a very growing Yes. Mega church. It was on its way to becoming um, something much bigger than it was. Right. And so I think for me, it just had me really thinking about what my opinion of mega of a mega church was. And, um, you know, maybe really even what does the Bible say about them? I think were yeah. some questions that I had. I think we've, I've attended a mega church and I know you have. Yeah. I mean, not, I haven't been a member of one. Right. But, but we've attended. attended. Yeah. Numerous yeah, over you, the years. You have numerous times. I've yeah. only been to what I would say, one, I went to um, the Potter's House, T.D. T. D. Jake's church one time in Dallas. Yeah. So we've been, I've been to Jensen Franklin. And you've Franklin been to Hillsong. And, and Hillsong and, um, a couple of times. And, um, yeah, so I've, I've attended several big ones. Yeah. Uh, so what is a mega church? It's a church with more than 2,000 weekly members in attendance. The Hartford Institute of Religious what was it? Religious religion. I didn't finish it. I just put the, the Hartford, Hartford Institute. Institute for Religion Research. Religious religion research. Mm-hmm. The list had over thirteen hundred mega churches listed in the U.S. They were Protestant and evangelical churches. Among Roman Catholic churches, about three thousand had more than two thousand per week in attendance. About fifty of those thirteen hundred Protestant churches had ten thousand to. 47,000 members, I think that number was low because the largest church, um, mega church in the United States, has now, I think that number is greater because it has 52,000 people. Yeah. And the multi-site situation yeah. kind of affects those numbers a little bit. Because it does. I have a whole separate page for multi-site. <laughs> yeah, so that, that definitely affects the that a little bit. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, so that the largest mega church in the United States is Lakewood Church in Sugarland, um, Houston, Texas. That is Pastor Joel Osteen's church, and it has fifty-two thousand people. And then one more statistic, real quick: the top five mega churches worldwide are not in the U.S. by population. They're located in India, two in Nigeria, one in South Korea, and one on the Ivory Coast. So that's a little bit of mega church information. Yeah, and then the other interesting thing about the global. Uh, situation is that uh, in that same, the Hartford Institute, in that same um, body of research, it also said that although there were only about uh, uh, 230 to 500 megachurches outside the United States, so 
um, if, not counting all of those here, but that their their weekly attendance, their median attendance was much higher typically than than the U.S. than the U.S. So their median was about six thousand, whereas our median um, was substantially lar- smaller than that. Smaller than that. Yeah. So I. I um, I had a question that I found online and it was, well, it was started with an article and I just wrote down the title of the article because it was something to discuss. Um, Are mega churches just businesses masquerading as church? Um, And I only was interested in that because we had listened to the rise and fall of Mars Hill and on the episode titled uh, Boca Raton, um, I can't remember what episode is that. Eleven. It was actually yeah, but it was it one was of a the bonus, bonus episode. episode. Yeah, it's a bonus episode if you go back and look for that. Um, and it discussed the calculated placement of churches in in um, highly populated areas suburban and in, areas. in suburban areas and in wealthy areas. And I just that was actually discussed before that, early, early on in the podcast, um, talking about. It was really one of the episodes that was discussing the megachurch phenomenon in general. In general. Not just Mars Hill. And it was specifically, it specifically talked about the, the business model. And, and it yes. gave the man's name that was really kind of... Behind it. Yeah, kind of behind that movement and how so many megachurches have followed that um, basic, you know, blueprint, yeah, blueprint. to create this, um, this phenomenon because... yeah. It's definitely has risen in the last few years. And in fact, uh, some of the data I had went back to 2017 and I knew. And so when I started looking, the numbers have just grown, um, yeah. you know, so, almost exponentially since that just a few years ago. Yes. So I was just going to point out that the largest megachurch in the U.S. is in Sugarland, which is a very wealthy suburb of Houston, Texas. The second largest is Life Church in Edmond, Oklahoma, and that is Pastor Craig Rochelle, that's um, Life Church. We'll get into the multi-site thing in a minute, but Life Church has 33 sites in 10 states with 85,000 people total. Um, the point of that, me even mentioning that, is that Edmond is also a very wealthy suburb of Oklahoma City. Mm-hmm. And so it would appear that both of those were placed where they are yeah. and started where they are to reach a certain target audience. So I guess we have to back up and ask ourselves, um, because even just hearing those statistics, there's something in me that begins to question, is that, is it right? I mean, I, you know, yeah. I think that's a question that we're trying to answer. Is it right? And I think one of the, the conclusions that I came to after just reading some of the statistics and looking at, um, some different, I watched a couple of YouTube videos about people speaking about mega church and, I think for me, what it boiled down to is that it's not inherently wrong to have a mega church. It's not inherently wrong to plant a church in a wealthy area. I think it it really comes back to the heart and the motivation behind that. And so when you ask or when we ask the question, is a mega church, is it a church or a business? And I think that the answer to that question has to be answered at in each individual mega church. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. if you just if you just lump them all together, then that's to say every small church is good and every big church is bad. And I I don't think that the issue is nearly that black and white. I think right. that there are pros and cons 
for both. Uh, one of the YouTube videos that I watched was um, a young Indian woman, and she obviously lived in a in a very urban area. <clears throat> but she said she was saying how she had had many friends that went to uh, mega churches, but that she for herself had chosen to stay in her small Indian church with her family. And she went on to say that she had taken advantage of many of the opportunities offered in the local mega church. Um, she said she had taken classes. She had taken the Dave Ramsey course. She had really taken advantage of the things that were offered, but that when it came time to worship, she preferred her, that, that small, intimate um you know, family church. She said, all my family goes there. She said, yeah. but the, the flip side of that is that I have friends that are not Indian that don't feel comfortable at my church. They don't have the, they don't dress the way we dress. They don't, um, they don't feel that same camaraderie when they step into the church because it's mostly family. Yeah. You know, I've got cousins and aunts and uncles and, um, you know, my siblings. And she said, it, it just doesn't feel the same to them when they come because they kind of feel like they're on the outside. And so for me, it just shows that, there's a church for everybody. I think we might have even mentioned that last right. week. There's a church for everybody. Um, but we got to back up and look at the motivation, the motivation of the leadership in, in a church, the motivation of the um, the congregation, the motivation of you individually when you choose a church. What is it that you're going for? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you had some really good points to make about that uh, with regards to just making – Making use of those services. Yeah. What did Hang I Because she looks lost. She's not I sure. do. I'm not sure what you're talking about. Well, I, we were just talking about just going to a mega church. Yeah. Isn't good or bad. Like, right. If you, I did say that. Yeah. If you, if you <laughs> remember, just remember just a few minutes ago. When, if you go to the, to a mega church and you go just for the purpose of, um, being fluffed up, enjoying yeah. the, it for its entertainment value, yeah. um, getting your church fix. Yeah. Um, and then you had the the quote from the woman that you remember, the yeah. T.C. Cannon quote. So T.C. said, the icing is not the foundation. I thought that was really profound, and I wrote that down. Um, so going just to get the icing, you know, you get, like you said, your little church fix for the week, but then no evidence of that in your life. The rest of the time, you, you're going on Sunday morning just to get your church fix, and then you're yeah. done. But on With, the other side of that, the amazing resources that a larger church has to offer when, you know, obviously more money provides more resources and more people provides mm-hmm. more resources. When you've got enough people to teach the class, um, I think about being in a small church and you can't, it's hard to offer a variety of things because you don't have enough people to to put it on to present mm-hmm. the material and then to attend. If you're using your people to present the stuff, then you probably don't have very many people to attend and, you know, vice versa. Right. And so, um, yeah, there's, there's so many pros and cons. I think there's something that I, that I looked at and wrote down and, um, it was related to music Yeah. because we have some wonderful worship music that has came out of the mega church movement. movement. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I listed just a few, um, the Hillsong Worship and Hillsong United come from Hillsong Church based in Australia, but have campuses worldwide, 30 locations, and more than 80 affiliated campuses. Um, I'm assuming that affiliates are self-supporting, but they're related to them somehow. Yeah. Um, Elevation Worship is a ministry out of Elevation Church located in Charlotte, North Carolina. That's Pastor Stephen Furtick. They have 18 campuses with approximately 30,000 people total. 
Bethel Music comes from Bethel Church in Redding, California with Pastor Bill Johnson. They have approximately 11,000 members. Um, and we, uh, you know, well, I don't know how to, <laughs> I don't know how to say what I want to say. Um, so maybe all of these churches theologically, like I think Bethel's maybe trying to become more progressive and inclusive. Mm. Um, we had read their statement yeah. online. Uh, and and they they're very problematic theologically. They even are apart from anyway. That. I read. Uh, the, yeah, I, so that I wrote made... that down. They they are a part of that new apostolic reformation movement. They have a lot. I read a lot of stuff about them. Yeah. Uh, so they they do have some problems, but their music is wonderful. Right. But the but the other thing with that is that they're they cover a lot of other worship groups, and a lot of other worship groups cover them. And so right. you know you can find that. Um, same music or that same song potentially by a different by artist, a different or, artist. Diff- or whatever and and may still feel like it's not you know in some way violating you know a theological issue that you have with them as a group but even yeah. going back um to Craig Rochelle's church the they are the ones that created the the Bible the app, Bible app mm-hmm. and how I mean, worldwide, that's impacting. Oh, yeah. So it, once again, Yeah, I definitely don't want to say anything negative about him yeah, at all. So I'm even, not. But even if, even if you've read something or something theologically that you don't necessarily agree with, when you look at the impact that that ministry has had and what it provides worldwide, there's, there's benefit in that. I think yeah. that's kind of the, the point that you're making that... Um, yeah, we, that was the point I wanted to yeah, make. There's there's good things coming out of some of these, um, some of these churches, and you know those are obviously some of the bigger known. Yeah, they're more well known. More well known because when you're talking about thousands of mega churches in the United States, there are thousands whether you know their name or whether I know their name or not, mm-hmm. um, and they are. Um, producing some really great things and they're also making some amazing resources available not only to their congregants but to like you said just the example of the one young lady that they're reaching out to um to the world oftentimes and giving resources to them yeah um so what were some other can you think of some other cons that you really wanted to address um i'm gonna just uh I'm going to read, I wrote the, the Casting Crown song, uh, Start Right Here. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to read the lyrics for the first the first part of that song. Uh, we want our coffee in the lobby. We wash, watch our worship on a screen. We got a rock star preacher who won't wake us from our dreams. We want our blessings in our pockets. We keep our missions overseas. But for the hurting in our cities, would we even cross the street? We want to see the heart set free. And the tyrants kneel, the walls fall down, and our land be healed. But church, if we want to see a change in the world out there, it's got to start right here. It's got to start right now. So that is the Casting Crown song, Start Right Here. I think that basically describes all the problems of the megachurch right there. Like yeah. the very first, um, I think that's the, that's yeah. the problem with the megachurch, um, you know. One of the articles that I read talked about having well it was really talking about the mixing church and business not necessarily church as a business but mixing the consumerism I mean basically is what it was yeah it was um, basically talking about 
the church that has has the Starbucks in the lobby, right, and McDonald's, and and the ATMs and the bookstore, and I mean, a pastor on the screen offers no accountability. Yeah, there's no accountability for you. Um, who, you know, you're you're not ans- you know you're not answering to anybody, yeah. um, and it's I don't. I don't even know how to explain what I'm trying to say, I, but I, I know what you're saying. There's there's no um, connection to the leader, and, and potentially there's no connection from the leader to the, his church. I mean, I, you can and that. most of those sites, I will say, just from research and having an, an associate pastor so that's many, on yeah. site. Yeah. Um, so they do have a pastor on site, but I just I just feel like you probably lose. I think what you're speaking to, and, and it was one of my cons whenever I was just making a list and it was that as as an attendant as a member of the church it's so easy to get lost in the crowd unless you personally choose to engage mm-hmm. unless you personally choose to join a life group or some version of that get involved in some form of outreach service yeah, whatever service then it's very easy to get lost in the crowd um I mean, I love anonymity. I love it. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think most of us do. Yeah. You know, um, because it's it's so sacrificial to not have it. Right. Then our then our personal bent's probably always going to be toward it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, one of the other big cons for me came from the other side of that, and that's from the pulpit side. And from the pulpit side, what I see in in just research and, in, and even from – you know, learning about Mark Driscoll's situation is the danger of the celebrity pastor mm-hmm. and what that does in that man. Right. You know, what what effect does that have on each of these men, no matter what they started out as, no right. matter how humble um, power corrupts? Yeah. And that's just a reality. I mean, whether you're talking about a business or a church or, I mean, whatever, power corrupts. Mm-hmm. That's just a fact. I mean, I think we could, we've seen example after example after example. I've just um, started reading, I've been in the Old Testament now for several months. And so um, just Saul getting, being called and, and how as he rose in power, which he already had some problems to start with, but power just corrupts. I think that's yeah. the bottom line. And then um, one of the other things that I listened to talked about the cultish mentality yes. that forms when you are in, when you are following a pastor yes, or a teacher, as opposed to um, belonging to a congregation, that there's such danger in that. I go to so-and-so's church rather than I'm a part of this church. Right. Um, the, that the pastor is so um, often protected and insulated from the public at, at both sides of that when they sin. Yeah, they're they're covered and protected because you got to protect the the whole. So we protect the pastor to protect the whole and the brand. We saw that in Mars Hill. We saw that in Ravi Zacharias. We've seen that in Bill Hybels. We've seen that in so many other pastors that their their problems, their sins, their um, indiscretions were hidden and covered for the sake of the church, right? Or the, the brand, the name of the church, as opposed to them being held accountable. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one of the most profound in, in one of the last, I think there's only one episode left to come out in the rise and fall of Mars Hill. And one of the one that just came out the other day that I listened to, um, was talking about, um, Oh, that th- all of these people that had been like brought up on charges throughout the course of the, the history of the church, like they had had some indiscretion or uh, accused indiscretion, 
and you know they were dismissed and then here's this pastor that all of these charges have been brought against him and the one guy said if we do anything less than what we did to these other men we are sinning we are showing partiality and we are wrong mm-hmm. and um i think that that that's just a that's a danger that mm-hmm. a, a big church falls into um that hey, ends justify the means yeah track. hey let me while you're let me interject real quick and i'm gonna let you go back this that they have a yeah. c.s lewis quote that relates to what you're saying it said pride is spiritual cancer it eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense mm-hmm. i thought that was so fitting for yeah. this because when you were talking about power corrupts i think right. that's it's pride yeah 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 and again i it's, except for the celebrity pastor part you know, honestly, the dangers that we're talking about aren't just for a mega church. And I think that that's something to keep in mind. I think that they are issues that we have to even contend with in our small, local, rural churches mm-hmm. that um, just putting someone up on a pedestal, how dangerous that can be. Um, uh, not having accountability, not holding our pastors to the same biblical standard. Um and again, going back to that original statement, the numbers aren't the issue. It's it's what the danger um, that can happen when we don't follow this the, the biblical pattern of a church, no matter what size the church is, that can be dangerous. Um, I wrote earlier, as with all things, God sees the heart and the requirements for honoring God are the same. Um, humility, obedience, love, generosity, selflessness, kindness, um, accountability, um, all of the qualifications giving in, given in Scripture, Titus, and, and the other places for those biblical leaders and, and what is required to be a pastor. Um, the expectation doesn't change whether your church is small or big. Right. And I think that that's important to remember. Do we want to touch on the multi-site thing? I'm going to just touch yeah. on that just to, just real quick. Um, the um, practice began in the late 90s and really gained traction in the early 2000s. Books were being written and conferences being held teaching how pastors how to grow your church to accomplish a multi-site system or network. Um, churches with multi-sites, according again to the Hartford Institute, approximately 70% of mega churches now have multi-sites. Um, the first church to become a multi-site church was Highland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, but that was in 1942. Oh, wow. In the 1990s, there were only 10 multi-site churches in the U.S. In 2014, there are, now these are just the numbers of the actual multi-sites, so 8,000 multi-site churches in the U.S. So out of that um, 1,300 network of mega churches, they have 8,000 total. Wow. Um, multi-site churches in the U.S. So I thought that was interesting. That's just some information about that. One of the things that we see in Scripture is that God used the thousands to accomplish what he wanted to accomplish, whether you're talking about battles in the Old Testament or growing the church in Jerusalem, like thousands. But he also used two I read this morning about Jonathan and his armor bearer in 1 Samuel 14 um, when they'd been fighting against the Philistines. And um, Jonathan said, Let, let's go up and see if God will be with us. Um, 
and so they went and, and God was, and he, um, cause that's what Jonathan said, like, you know, who, who's to say what God can do with a few. And so, um, I think we also can, can take on that, um, mentality that we don't have enough people to accomplish great things for God. And that's a danger too, because then we, then we sit on our hands and do nothing because we're small. Um, when, when who's to say what God can do with just a few, just like who's to say what God can do with many, because God can do with whatever is offered to him in humility and obedience. God can do what God wants to do. Um, it's, it's, it's the heart. It's the heart of the leader. It's the heart of the people that are seeking to follow the Lord, who are seeking to grow a church. I think when you were talking about that um, just a moment ago, who, what pastor would say, I don't want to grow my church? Right. I mean, what right. what body of Christ would say, oh, we don't want to grow? Right. And I even read an article that said the danger of the small church is that we're, sometimes we're clannish and we don't want people in. But we, we say we want people to come, but then do we really want to change? If more people come, we got more problems. I mean, yeah, you know, but truly, pastor's heart is to grow a church. And yeah. so when when I think about some of those, even those men. And plant a church. And plant a church, because that was the other big part of the Boca Raton episode. Was right, that, was church planting. And even, was it Acts 29? Was that the? The Acts 29 ministry. The Acts 29 ministry was a church planting ministry. Right. And, you know, gosh, that's that's the heart of, of God's church is to grow the church of God. I mean, yeah. we want to see people come into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. In Acts, when they're talking about the early church, um, Peter had given his sermon in Jerusalem. This was after um, there were 120 of them in the, in the upper room. And then um, the Holy Spirit descended in Pentecost. And then Jesus, I mean, Peter gave his sermon. And it said that in verse 47, And the Lord added to their numbers day by day, And it's so easy to stop right there, but it goes on to say those who were being saved. And I think if we forget that element and we just are focused on the growing the church part, what a danger that is, no matter the size of our church, no matter the size of our church, we want to see the number, we want to see those numbers are success, right? Isn't that how we gauge success in life is the numbers. But if we aren't following through with those with that part, those who are being saved. That's our goal. It's not to see our church grow and be able to plant another one over here. Our goal is to see souls added to the kingdom of God. Our, our goal is to grow the family of God, and the family of God grows when people accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. And so if when we lose focus, I think that's that we start getting that check in our spirit about a business when you're talking about why. Why would you plant your church there? Why do you want to put it in this in this wealthy, affluent mm-hmm. neighborhood, why are you wanting to make 15 sites that like, what's your goal? Is mm-hmm. your goal to reach souls for Jesus Christ or is your goal to grow numbers? Is your mm-hmm. goal to hit, to hit this certain attendance? Is your goal to um, acquire this many buildings? Is your goal to um, say that you have this many members? What Or reach a membership with a median income of a certain number because yeah. that's what Rick Warren did when they planted Saddleback. It was to reach a certain and I'm not trying to speak against Rick Warren. I'm just saying that he said that's yeah. why he put his church there. He was he was going to reach suburban America, um, which led to a certain median income level. Right. So anyway, that was his own. That's his own um, words. words. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that that should just kind of give us all pause when we're talking about growing our church. 
I'm going to grow my church. I, I, I do. I want my church to grow. Um, but I want my church to grow so that more people can be reached for Jesus Christ. You know what I mean? I right. want I want the family of God to grow. Right. And the if kingdom. growing my church does that, then then that's then that's my heart. But if, yeah. if God can use us in the few, then then let us be faithful in the few. But if God would have our church to grow, then let us be faithful to use his resources in a way that's gonna facilitate that. Yeah. You know? I heard um in the course of all of this, I heard someone say something, uh, they use the term populating heaven. Our church mm. was, you know, we're trying to populate heaven. We're not trying to populate our church yeah. per se. We're trying to populate heaven. I, right. I liked that. Yeah. So. Nothing inherently wrong or good about either. Just that um, we just need to check our motives, check our spirit, yeah. check our goals, check our um, yeah objectives. I you know? think. I think um, one reason maybe we were interested in this well was listening to Mars Hill, but um, maybe just making people aware that there are pitfalls related to it. Yeah. Maybe study what you're know what you're listening to and yeah. who you're listening to. Um, I listen to a pastor that's at a mega church every week. I listen to him every week. I love him. I love him. I think he's great. Um, but I'm, but maybe research and know who who you're listening to and that right. pastor has multi-site campuses and yeah. all that good stuff. You know, it's definitely a mega church. And gosh, so. we've, ch- we've said this so many times too. Like we should be, we should be gauging any man's or woman's words with what scripture says. And yeah, um, yeah, you know, that's, that's what we keep in our mind. Right. I mean, that's our criteria is right. Is this scriptural? Is this just feeding me so that I can grow? Or is this teaching me more about God? Is this helping me understand the character of Christ? Is this helping me to walk out my faith and and bear fruit in a way that's going to point people to Jesus? And I think that's a question we should ask ourselves, whether we're sitting in our own church or whether we're listening to someone um, in a podcast or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I hope that we, again, <laughs> we want to enlighten, we want to bring awareness to issues, and um, hopefully we provided a good discussion that you guys can take and go back and maybe research on your own. And thank y'all for joining us, and we'll see y'all next time.